That's in the Bible, episode 12, Does the Bible Outscience Science? Troubles and times are here, filling men's hearts with fear. Freedoms we all hold dear, now is at stake. Humbling your hearts to God, sage in the chastening rod. Seek the way pilgrims trod, Christians away. Hello and welcome back to That's in the Bible. My name's Eric and I'm here in the studio with Matthew. Matt, good to see you. It's good to be back. It's been a while since I've been in the studio. Nice of you to come here with the swine flu and to, to infect me. I'm a little, a little uh, choked up a little bit here, a little cross-eyed, so if, I'm, uh, if I start... Uh, teaching a little heresy you might want to shut off this microphone <laughs> all right well i can reach over there and grab it pretty quick so be prepared and also joining us via skype from beautiful sunny western new york is the prophet steve <laughs> well this is one time i'm glad i'm not in the studio <laughs> i don't think that swine flu can travel through the airwaves that way so yeah, it's something. You got some kind of cold, huh? And I, I thought I was feeling it today even before you got here, so hopefully it's not any of that stuff. Yeah, you can't blame me. Well, we've got, a, I think, a really interesting show today. We've got um, some really interesting facts, uh, many of them way ahead of uh, what modern science ever thought about or knew until really a lot of it until recently, but it, it was found in the Bible many thousands of years ago. And, I, and that's just fascinating. So we'll be taking a look at that. So if you have a Bible, we encourage you to go ahead and get that and uh, follow along with us. And particularly if you have a King James Bible, you'll find um, you'll find that to be the most accurate. Right, Steve? Amen. Steve, what have you been Amen. up to? Oh, I've just been hanging out. My uh, wife and daughter are uh, away helping my mom and dad. who are not uh, doing well right at the present time. And uh, helping helping them out with my uh, brother and sister, and I'm left here holding the fort and uh, taking care of the dogs and uh, trying to behave myself. So that's about about all I'm doing. And what what kind of dogs were those again? I have uh, two Shelties. Shelties. They look like little collies or something, right? Yeah, it's actually their own breed. They're Shetland Sheepdogs. And uh, they're supposed to be the smartest dogs. The reason why I have them is to make up for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've I've seen your dogs in action, and at least one of them, I don't know, maybe both, they, they can do some pretty cool tricks. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. We enjoy them. We'll have to have a video segment and yeah. feature, feature <laughs> them. <laughs> That'd probably be more interesting than what we're talking about. Oh, just, just <laughs> no, but uh, they're they're pretty talented. So they obviously must be kind of smart to be able to learn those tricks the way they do. Yeah. Good dogs, good dogs. All right, what's happening with you, Matthias? Not much. I have a, a blessing uh, coming here. Of course, I live in Syracuse again, and, and it took me about an hour and a half to get here, so I stopped midway in Cortland, New York, and uh, it was a blessing. Another good pit stop at the uh, coffee shop. <laughs> <laughs> That's where all my witnessing Wait a minute, you're not gonna, you're not going to mention it by name? <laughs> not no, plug it? Not, no, not Come a, on, we could use a sponsor. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. We're not, we're not going to plug their name in until we get them as a sponsor. That, that's how we'll do it. <laughs> I just thought if they heard their name enough, we could contact them and see if they wanted to sponsor. All right, go ahead. All right, well, Tim Hortons, the best coffee in the world. <laughs> and the best uh, donut holes, all right? 
But anyway, I drove up and and gave the the girl a scripture uh, uh, track, and it was a it was a gospel track. It was a blessing. She probably about my age in the twenties, and uh, she didn't seem like she was too happy or anything like that when uh, you know I was taking she was taking my order and I gave her the money and. So I gave her a gospel track, and she's like, "Oh, I was wondering what that was in your car, you know." Again, to my scripture signs, and I said, "Yeah, those are those are scriptures, you know." And and I said, "You know, this is a gospel track," and and she's like, "Oh, I just had somebody just a a, a little while ago in my house talking to me about all this, you know, because I want to know." And uh, so she was real excited. Uh, she wanted to know, you know, what church I go to. I told her uh, uh, it's in Syracuse. Gave her my uh, track that has the um, address of the church there in Syracuse, and. And I told her we actually started a good uh, Baptist church there in Cortland. You know, one of our ministries, we start churches. <clears throat> and uh, so told her to contact, you know, that, the church I go to and get a hold of them. And, and I, you know, gave her a little bit of the gospel and she was just real excited. So so it was a blessing to be able to witness to her. And and uh, it's just those, there's a good uh, book that I read called uh, Divine Appointments, which I truly believe in that. The Lord has certain times that the Lord brings, you know, you see that also in Acts chapter 8 with uh, Philip the Ethiopian eunuch. I mean, he's, he's reading out of Isaiah 53 about Jesus Christ, you know, being led, led to the slaughter, you know. And, and the whole thing is, is that that was a divine appointment. And uh, I truly believe that she's being worked on, and, and I was just able to be led out there, used as a vessel. And, and what a blessing that is when we actually see that take place, that the Lord used you in that spot. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, it's nice to get a positive reaction too, you know. For once, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because it always doesn't. And a lot of a lot of times, people just say thank you. Right. Often they'll say thank you, right, and take a track. But uh, it's always nice that the Lord, you know, brings you upon those moments. But you were faithful in in doing what you were supposed to do too. Well, you know how the flesh is. <laughs> You're like, oh, I'll just get the coffee, just get out of there. She doesn't have the time and. And uh, if I would have, she probably would have glanced at those scripture signs. Scripture signs would have been like, man, you know, if if he just would have gave me something, then I would have known mm-hmm. for sure, you know. So, so I would have never known and wouldn't have had that blessing without. So, yeah. amen. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get started. We have a quote for today, and Matt's going to bring us that. So here we go, Matt. Take it away with our quote of the day. All right, well, this is a quote from William Lyon Phelps, which is president of Yale University. Uh, He was president around the early 1900s of Yale University there. And this is what he said, I quote, I thoroughly believe in a university education for both men and women, but I believe a knowledge of the Bible is more valuable than a college course without the Bible. And uh, that is true, you know, I, I... I forgot who who brought it up. It might have had even nothing to do with uh, a biblical reference, but I remember someone talking about um, you know without without the the Bible, just having the education, the knowledge, you really kind of turn them into like mad scientists you know, <laughs> with no morality, no you know no uh, knowing of right or wrong. You get what what happens with Nazi Germany, you know, during yeah. the, during the Holocaust, where they very smart smart people, but they were demonically smart about it, as they you know performed experiments on twins and and did all kinds of horrible things, you know, when they the Nazis were in power and and really science just kind of ran amok there, and and uh, it was scary. And I th- I think that's what you see too, you know the. 
school systems say, well, if we just teach them about history, if we teach them, you know, go in sex education and health class and all that and, and teach them all these things that that'll solve the problems, you know, but it's, it's not just a head knowledge, you know, and people don't understand that they have to have uh, the Lord Jesus Christ living inside of them, the Holy Spirit, and, and having Bible uh, knowledge uh, as well, and, and your sins against God, and, and, you know, that's what makes good people, that's what makes uh, great Christians and, and godly people uh, to uh, be able to stay away from sin and, and have the devil flee from you, but, but uh, you know, just education by itself isn't going isn't gonna to help. Amen. You know, some of the things that, you know, you guys have mentioned, uh, you know, your personal relationship with the Lord and, and having that knowledge. But even aside from that, if, if you just put that aside, there's no better book than the Bible to know how to get along with people. Uh, you know, you read Proverbs and, and so forth, and that's all in, in interaction with people, how to deal with people, how to how to be successful, uh, you know, even on a, on a, on a, how shall I say, a secular basis, the Bible's still uh, the best book to, to learn how to, how to uh, get along and, and obviously have that, that moral standard. Uh, and then enhanced upon that would be obviously having the personal understanding or personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, which uh, takes all that and gives it meaning and gives it purpose. Um, you know, it, it just amazes me that someone of that stature at that particular time would be able to say something like that and not have any recourse. And I think we've mentioned it on several uh, podcasts that that uh, you can't say anything like that now. Uh, you know, they would drum him out of the school. Uh, they would, uh, you know, make a, you know, basically flog him with their words, you yeah. know, the the uh, drive-by media, as one person puts it, uh, you know, would just crucify the guy for, for you know, all the, the obvious things, you know, the separation of church and state, and you're trying to brainwash our kids and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and uh, you know, I just really think that, that the kind of people that that, that system produced, uh, I think, are, well... I can't say that they're better, but they they were more well they were more rounded, well rounded, uh, as far as individuals. And uh, when you take God out of the system, you just have anarchy. Obviously, we've mentioned that before, but the evidence is just seeing seeing our society. It's just the evidence. And I think a uh, amazing fact that a lot of people don't know just because they're not told. Uh, is that 80%, uh, I heard this uh, a while ago, this uh, number, that 80% of uh, universities and colleges that were founded in the 1700s and 1800s, uh, 80% of them were founded to be able to teach uh, students to uh, go into the ministry and, and just teach a uh, foundation of the Bible. And uh, nowadays you see um, all these colleges, of course, now just so liberal that they they frown upon the Bible and they uh, you know mock it and and they t- pretty much teach against it now and and teach about uh, different religions such as the Quran and and those are acceptable but the Bible is not acceptable you know and and it's just amazing the whole 360 that they've made or 180 that they've made uh, starting founding just to teach the Bible now they're mocking it and going to the Quran and and certain things like that it's just amazing to see. And uh, as we were we we were talking um, a few days ago, 
it's not even college. It's happening in high school where that uh, it was on the news where that high school science teacher was uh, sued by a uh, student, actually a Christian, because the science teacher just ranted and raved against creationism and uh, saying that, you know, the Bible and, and that whole thing was just uh, not only a story, but, I mean, he was vehement, vehement uh, you know, against the student and, and, and proclaiming that they're ignorant and, and just a whole bunch of things. And, hmm. So, you know, you, you've got, you've got, you're up against that. You're, you're up against, you know, that somehow the knowledge and, and understanding and a belief in the Bible is somehow not scientific. Well, we're going to look today and see how it's more scientific than science. Yeah, yeah amen. And uh, so, you know, it's, the world system is certainly set up uh, against Christianity and the Bible, but to be expected, I think, too, the Bible shows us. That's right. Amen. All right, but before we get into our episode and lesson today, I know that uh, we have a question or had a question that uh, was put up by a, uh, a listener, and uh, we've, we've actually been, it seems, pretty busy, and, and uh, one thing has always led to another, and we haven't just seemed to be able to take some time, although there, and I have to admit this, there was uh, there was was a time when actually Steve went through the answer, and uh, I'll admit I had a technical glitch, and and uh, erased you, Eric. No, it's hard to believe, hard to believe, but I I had a technical glitch and erased uh, the whole podcast. Anyway, it's a long story, but. The question was uh, from a fellow by the name of Gordon Proper, and it said, On your podcast, you mentioned that Jesus Christ went to hell and deposited our sins. Do you have a scripture that says our sins are in hell? And Steve, you, you had that uh, episode, so you want to take that one? All right. Uh, I'll do my best to try to answer that. You know, I don't know that the answer that I'm going to give, and I'll just say this up front, is going to satisfy this listener because I believe what he's looking for is a specific verse that says exactly that. You know, there's a lot of things that uh, in the Bible that aren't said exactly, but they're still true and there's still uh, evidence for it. It's just that it doesn't say it exactly. I mean, uh, you know, whether you, uh, you know, it's, it's talked about in the scripture that we're supposed to teach. We're supposed to teach our children and so forth, yet there's no verse in the Bible that says we ought to have a Sunday school, yet we have a Sunday school. Uh, you know, there's times when God talks to us about getting things right with Him, and churches have uh, a time and a place for us to do that. It's not specifically mentioned in the, in the scriptures. But we have a, what we call in Baptist churches called an altar call, where we go forward and, and we publicly in, the, publicly in front of people, but yet silently uh, take care of the issue that's between us and God. And that's not in the Bible either. But yet there's still there are things that, that uh, are, are biblically sound, yet don't have a specific verse. There's probably other things that I, that, that I could uh, say. I, I can't think of them right off the, hand, or off the top of my head. But there's still things that can be uh, said that don't have a specific verse. I mean, if you think about it, God condensed everything he wanted to say that was relevant in being said in a book of 66, uh, 66 books. And, um, you know, if he... If, if he tried to put everything in there 
it would it would be so so big that we wouldn't be able to carry it around. We wouldn't even read it. So what I want to do is I want to introduce the reason why I believe what I said in in uh, from the scriptures. And and what I said was I believe that Jesus Christ went to hell, which we've already shown that from the scriptures, and that he deposited our sins in hell. Uh, if you uh, have not heard that podcast, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to it so that it'll give you some some uh, framework or some uh, background as to why I'm giving the answer the way I'm giving it. But if you take your Bible and turn to Isaiah chapter 59, Isaiah chapter 59, we'll begin in verse 1 verse 1 and verse 2, it says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that he cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. What I want you to see from this is that our iniquities and our sins have separated us from God. That fellowship we cannot have with God because our sins are egregious to him. He is pure, he is holy, and we are sinful and ungodly. And therefore, that, that fellowship that Adam had once at one time, we cannot experience. The only way that we can experience that <clears throat> is, to, is to trust the Lord Jesus Christ as our personal Savior once that is established, then our sins are taken care of, and now we can have that fellowship with God. Now go to John chapter 1, and we'll see how that's, those sins are taken care of. Those sins are taken care of by Jesus Christ. It says in John chapter 1 and verse 29, The next day John seeing Jesus, seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And it says that he takes away the sins of the world. There's other places where you run that, that uh, reference, and it, and it talks about bearing away, uh, carrying away. That taking away is, is actually a removing of that sin. <clears throat> and when, he, when those sins that have separated us between us and God... Jesus Christ, when we call upon him to be our Savior, he takes those sins away. Uh, and, of course, he does that through his blood. Uh, we have the forgiveness of sins through his blood. Now go to Leviticus chapter 16. Leviticus chapter 16. This is talking about one of the sacrifices. And Aaron has here, he's to take up two goats. And one of them is called a scapegoat. Leviticus chapter 16, we're going to read two portions of Scripture here. <clears throat> the first one being found in uh, verse 8, 8 through 10. And Aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats, one lot for the Lord, and the other, uh, other lot for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat upon which the, uh, the Lord's lot fell, and offer him for a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make an atonement with him to let him go for a scapegoat into the wilderness. 
Now drop down to verse 21. <clears throat> and Aaron shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions in all, and all their sins, putting them upon the head of the goat. And he and shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. And the goat shall bear upon him all their iniquity unto a land not inhabited, and he shall let go the goat in the wilderness. Now that scapegoat is a type of Jesus Christ. That's what, uh, in essence, what you're, uh, what you're reading about. Obviously, it's a Lamb of God. That fills another type. But when he says, uh, you know, behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world, he's combining two different types here. One being the, the, the one of Abraham and Isaac, talking about the Lamb of God, and the other one being the scapegoat, which taketh away or beareth away the iniquities of the children of Israel into the wilderness. And what he did is he took those sins and he took them to an uninhabited place. You could say that place is a type of hell, if you wish. But he took those sins away so that they were no longer a burden to the people. <clears throat> now take a look in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. When he did that, this is what transpired. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. When he bore those sins away, he took them away, and he laid them upon himself. He became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Now notice one more place, and, and then we'll make some, some summation here. Go to Hebrews chapter 9. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 9. Take a look in verse 28. For Christ once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Now here you have Jesus Christ not having sin, coming back the second time. And so he, he's, first of all, he's taken the sins, he's borne the sins, he takes them someplace, and now when we see him coming back again, he doesn't have those sins with him. Now, there's, there's a, a number of things that goes on here. You know, I've heard it said, well, you know, he said it was finished on the cross, I guess he doesn't really mean it was finished because he did a lot, you know, there's a lot of the things he did. Well, let's, let's stop and think about that for a second. After he said that on the cross, was it really finished? I mean, was it really finished? Because he went down to hell. We see that in Acts chapter 2. He goes over to Abraham's bosom, and he preaches to the spirits there as well. He leads captivity captive. He offers the blood upon the, upon the altar of God. Uh, he comes back down. He's touched by by the uh, disciples and by the women there. He spends 40 days here. Then he's ascended up into heaven again. 
And then he's sitting on the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. So if you want to say his job, you know, that it was finished on the cross, then it really wasn't finished. What did he mean by it was finished? The sinless life that he lived on this, on this earth to be fit to make the sacrifice was completed. He, had, he did all the work that the Father gave him to do, and you find that several times that Jesus Christ came to do his work, to do the work of the Father. All of that was completed. The veil in the temple was rent in twain when he died. All of that is, all of that is done. The access to the Father is direct. You don't have to go through anyone else to do that anymore. So that is all done. But when he took the sins and they laid upon him on the cross and he died for those sins, he, as the scapegoat, went to hell. Now, let's, let's, let's think about this. Where would we have to spend an eternity to pay for those sins in, uh, that, we, that we've committed if we have not trusted the Lord Jesus Christ? We'd have to spend it in hell because our sins send us to hell. Now, if Jesus Christ is making the payment and he is our propitiation, the substitute, then he took our sins to hell and he comes back without those sins with him. He certainly didn't take them up to, to the Father up in heaven. I mean, our sins have separated us between us and our God. So he didn't take them up there. He didn't leave them in the grave. There's no... There's, so by, by logic and reason and the scriptures, I think we can safely say, and this is what I truly believe, that he took those sins and he dumped them off into hell. And then he led, grabbed the keys of death and hell, went over to Abraham's bosom, and led captivity captive. Now, like I get, again, if you're looking for a direct verse that says he dumped the sins off in hell, you're not going to find it. I admit that. But by the evidence that I've shown you here, I believe that you can safely say that he did by the very verses that we showed here. So hopefully that's an answer. You know, I don't want to, uh, uh, how shall I say, intimidate people from asking questions. We invite questions. We want questions. And hopefully we can do a good job of answering them. If we've been unclear in one of the podcasts, you know, let us know. Help us, uh, help us to clarify your questions and answers. Thanks a lot. We appreciate it. Thanks, guys. All right. Thanks, Steve. Thanks for doing that. As uh, Steve mentioned, if you have questions, if you have comments you want to make, we certainly do welcome that. You can go right to our website where you'll also find all of the uh, episodes uh, that we've done to date. And the one that Steve was just uh, talking about was episode eight, The Underworld, Did Jesus Really Go to Hell? So if you're just tuning in and you, you've heard this answer, but you're not sure about the, uh, the whole thing where it emanated from, you can check that out at thatsinthebible.com. T-H-A-T-S-I-N-T-H-E-B-I-B-L-E, thatsinthebible.com. You can also email us at thatsinthebible at gmail.com. And you can also leave a comment or a question directly right on the website itself. I knew that college paid off. That you can spell. <laughs> I knew that money was put to good use somewhere. I just didn't know where. 
Oh, Matthew, this is fair. I like this. Of course, I always take the high road. I don't uh, retaliate. But I'm you know, being, being, ears, being the more else. spiritual one. That's just me. Let's go ahead and get started. We've got a number of things we want to take a look at today. We want people to follow along with us. So we're going to take a look at our lesson today, our episode on Does the Bible Outscience Science? All right, and today we're looking at does the Bible outscience science? And uh, the Bible does mention science a few times, and and one of the verses that it mentions is First Timothy six twenty, where it says, "O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science, falsely so called." So there's, there's true science and there's science falsely so-called. And a lot of the opposition that Christians face and, the, and uh, believers in the Bible face is really science falsely so-called. And, uh, you know, just springing to mind, evolution, science falsely so-called. And we'll, I'm sure we'll be doing a podcast on just devoted to the fallacy and myth of evolution. Um, but one of the, I mean, if you take a look at science and, and where we've come from with science, I mean, one of the things about science is that, is that it's always changing. It's, it's, you know, it's what was science a uh, hundred years ago is superstitious nonsense today. <laughs> in, a, in direct contrast to the Bible, which thousands of years ago has made pronouncements and, and revealed things that, you know, man didn't know about today. Here's an example, bloodletting was popular in the United States of America when, uh, for example, Benjamin Rush, who was a signatory of the Declaration of Independence, he saw the state of the arteries as the key to disease, and he recommended levels of bloodletting that were high. Uh, George Washington asked to be bled heavily after he developed a throat infection from weather exposure, and almost... Four pounds of blood was was withdrawn, much of it without a doctor's supervision, and it contributed to his death in 1799. Yeah, and it's pretty amazing. I mean, they they it says that they bled him four times. This is George Washington, uh, and that was in 1799. That was just 200 years ago. Uh, they were they were bleeding people, and and the president of the United States. I mean, they pretty much practically bled him to death. And the amazing thing is, is it it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't until the early 1900s uh, that a man named Dr. Lister discovered that the blood provides the blood's immune system or the body's immune system. Uh, I mean, once you start bleeding all that blood out of you, your your body has no immune system to be able to fight out off any kind of uh, infections, any diseases, any kind of thing that's not supposed to be in the body. And man, that's that's in the Bible uh, thousands of years before you know they even knew. And doesn't it say the life of the flesh is in the blood? That's Absolutely. right. It, it does. Verse it, think of mine. Yep. It's uh, Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, which says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood. You start bleeding out that blood, uh, your flesh is not going to have any life. So, <clears throat> again, right there. Science, zero. Bible, <laughs> one. <laughs> and I think, you know, the amazing thing is about about this is, you know, I remember 
when I first got saved, I, I hear so many of my friends say this as well. They just say, well, you know, you've got faith, but it's blind faith. You know, you just choose your faith just by, just by, you know, oh, well, I'm going to choose a faith. Eh, this one works for me. So it's kind of like a blind faith. But the amazing thing is, is that this is one of those things that, that show you that this is not just a blind faith. I mean, like you, you take the Quran, for instance, they, uh, their whole thing about the moon, and then we're going to go over the moon here shortly. Uh, actually, uh, I believe it's the moon or it's the sun. I believe it's the moon. When it disappears, they say it goes into murky water. Uh, and uh, murky, muddy water is when it kind of disappears, uh, and then it comes back out of the murky, muddy water. Now, the Bible has nothing like that in it, you know, and, that, and that's the amazing thing is this is not just blind faith, uh, but we also have uh, the prophecy of the Bible, the unity of the Bible, uh, how it was, you know, written over three continents over 1,600 years by 40 different authors, and it just all goes together with one author, which is, of course, the Holy Spirit. And it's never been proven wrong. I mean, right. if anything, it's always been proven right. Science, for example, catches up to the Bible, or tries to, never yeah. really does. <laughs> Archaeology doesn't prove the Bible wrong. Right. What it does is it just confirms what the Bible has said about, you know, different locales and places. So, That's right. you know, you would think that if this thing was going to be proved wrong, it would have been proven wrong, but it yeah. hasn't been, yeah. you know, because there's been a lot of opposition to it. Some of it by science, falsely so-called, and, and some of it by archaeology, so-called, and, and you know, other things. And But still holds strong. Uh, how, how does that happen? Why is that? And he, it's God's book. That's why. Amen. <laughs> amen. And I mean, you see in Leviticus, you know, which, which uh, you know, you, you see the books of Moses, you know, which Moses was in the time of Pharaoh and all you, you learn about all the kinds of things that they used to do to heal wounds. You know, they, they used to use like frogs pee and stuff like that. And they'd say that that heals all this kind of stuff. Is now, that wrong? <laughs> now, when you see that kind of stuff in there, you would think that kind of uh, science back then when, when uh, Moses was around, that you would see that in the Bible, you know, all the, all those kinds of science and, and health kind of issues would come up in the Bible. But uh, he was he was under the inspiration of God. He wasn't putting anything that Pharaoh put now in. Now we're going to get a lot of letters and emails from Arkansas about <laughs> what's wrong with the frogs. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding, folks out there in Arkansas. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, let's take a look at another one here in Job twenty six, verse seven. Again, that's Job, chapter twenty six, verse seven. And it says, "He stretcheth out the north over the empty place." which is probably a whole study in itself, <laughs> and hangeth the earth upon nothing. You want to you comment on that, Steve? Well, it's just amazing. You know, that at one point, the, the thought was is that they had some strong man by the name of Atlas was under, underneath yeah. holding up the earth, you know. And uh, the Bible written uh, even before that time, uh, you know, had the earth hanging on nothing. I think there's some uh, ancient societies that thought it was held up by turtles or, or yeah. things along that line. But God had it right uh, before all these other civilizations uh, uh, had anything, you know, credible to say. And, uh, you know, obviously, as man was able to, to get telescopes up and uh, uh, to take a look at things and see how things were and, you know, they finally figured out that God was right and they were wrong. And then when we went to the moon and they were able to, like you said, you know, to look back at the earth, they could see we are suspended out in space. We're not, we're, we're hanging upon nothing. We're, there were no turtles. We're, no turtles, no no big atlas <laughs> underneath the earth. Uh, you know, so again, thousands of years before 
Who knew? Well, the Bible knew. Bible knew. Here's another one. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 22. That's Isaiah 40, verse 22. And it says this, It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers, that stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain, and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in. But the main thing we want to focus on this verse right here is circle of the earth. The earth being a circle or round. Yeah, I mean, this is amazing. I mean, it's it's written in 700 B.C., and it wasn't proven correct until the 1500s, and, and that's when Magellan sailed around the world, and that's 2,000 years later. <laughs> I mean, can, can, uh, the Bible's a little bit... Uh, a little bit further, uh, you know, ahead than science, I would say. Again, Bible, <laughs> correct. Science, <laughs> <laughs> you know, they were they were worried about you know sailing off the edge of the earth. Yeah, you know, but if they had had a uh, Bible, they could have said, "Hey, circle of the earth, it's round. Come yeah. on, dummy." All right, let's take a look at another one that uh, actually shows this point again, and this is New Testament. Luke 17, verses 30 and 34. That's Luke chapter 17, verses 30 and 34. It says in verse 30, Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Talking about the second coming. And in verse 34, I tell you, in that night there shall be two men in one bed, the one shall be taken and the other shall be left. So, how is it that in the day the Son of Man is revealed, and then it says, in that night? How is it day and night at the same time? <laughs> yeah, and, and that's the thing. I mean, they didn't know. They thought, the, again, that the earth was flat, and <laughs> there would be no way that it would be day and night at the same time. But, and again, this is written in 65 AD. Uh, you know, how did, how did Luke know that? that far in advance and they didn't find out that the earth was earth was round until the 16th century <laughs> you know i mean it's right. just amazing steve you're being quiet i am quiet you guys are doing a great job this is great <laughs> all right let's take a look at another one let's look at jeremiah 33 verse 22 that's your old testament jeremiah 33 verse 22 And it says, as the host of heaven cannot be numbered, neither the sand of the sea measured, so will I multiply the seed of David my servant and the Levites that minister unto me. I mean, the, the, the reference it makes here is the host of heaven cannot be numbered. Talking about the stars, the stars, the, those, those bodies out in space, they, they can't be numbered. They're, they're just unlimited. Yeah, I heard a number, a uh, statistic given out just a little while ago that at first they thought it was about, they have about one trillion, each person could own one trillion stars so far that they've, uh, each, you know, each person on earth could own one trillion stars each. Um, now the number is up to 10 trillion. So while we got about 7 billion people on this earth, they say each person on this earth right now could own uh, 10 trillion stars. And that's just the stars that they've seen. Uh, it's just, you know, it's just amazing that they, you know, they, they're still finding more and more and more. They say it just seems like it's endless, that they can't, they can't even number them all. There's so many. Now, you would think if the Bible was a superstitious book, it would, how would it know that? Yeah. You know, it's... I mean, it would be wrong in one point eventually here. <laughs> right. 
All right. Well, Matt, you want to talk about the uh, the water and wind cycle? Yeah, definitely. Uh, now, this is the one about the wind has circuits, and that's in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 6. Again, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 6, it says, The wind goeth toward the south, and turneth about unto the north. It whirleth about continually, and the wind returneth again according to uh, his circuits. So it's saying that the wind has circuits that it goes in. And, uh, you know, modern day uh, areologists and meteorologists, now they're just finding out that the wind uh, travels in circuits. They, they truly don't understand everything about it yet, but they've just found out and they're just finding out all these things about how the wind has its, its own circuits that it goes through. And uh, I mean, that's amazing. You know, uh, it, it, I don't know if I didn't know any science, I'd just say, oh, it's just some wind going past me. It's going <laughs> to the east. It's going to the west. Uh, you know, that's I don't even know where the wind's going. At yeah, that how, time. How, how could you know that there were going to be circuits that's like right. this? Yeah. I know they, would they that, go ahead. I'm sorry. I know they could figure that out now, being that they got the uh, satellite pictures and things from, right. from out in space and they can track those and watch those. But but how is that possible? Right. Now, would you consider that being the jet stream? Is that what you're talking about as far as being a circuit? Because that is a, a, a known fact. They didn't know that until, I think it was World War II, where they, where they determined there was a thing called the jet stream where their bombers were going over to Japan to, to bomb a, a certain site. And uh, when they came up to it, they weren't anywhere near their site because they had gotten up into the jet stream and were basically just standing still in the air the, the the jet stream was providing the lift for them but they weren't making any headway wow. and uh that all of a sudden got the scientists to 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 work on some things and they found that they could be moved by you know high pressure or low pressure but that still that that jet stream is is flowing in a circuit in a stream that goes all the way around the earth and there's there's a few of them yeah. and uh so the bible was right long before these scientists never figured it out. Amen. Now that was in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 6 that we learned about the wind circuits. Now just in the next verse, Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 7, it talks about another one. And uh, this is about condensation and evaporation. And it says here, All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. Unto the place from whence the rivers came, thither they return again. Now, this was written in 1000 BC, which is 2,500 years ahead of science. Uh, you know, this wasn't proven until Galileo in 1630. And uh, what he found was that the sun evaporates water uh, from the ocean. Uh, then water vapor rises and becomes the clouds. And then the water in the clouds falls back to the uh, earth as rain. And it collects in the rivers and makes its way back to the oceans. Uh, and it just keeps doing that cycle. And uh, I mean, that wasn't figured out until Galileo in 1630. Amazing. And, uh, you know, I just, I, I'm at loss of words. I, I, how, do you, how would you explain that? Yep. If you, as a non-Christian, a non-Bible believer, how would you explain that the Bible says that? That's right. I can't. I, I can't even come well, up with a good argument for it. We're just poor, stupid people that don't know anything. You know, uh, you know we, we just believe this book, and, and we're just really not up with the times, and we don't know what's going on. It doesn't depend upon our intelligence or our understanding. God wrote this long before I was ever alive, and he knew what he was doing, and uh, he has all the wisdom and all the power, Amen. and he can do whatever he wants, regardless of whether the person's saved or lost. It doesn't make any difference. God's decreed it anyway. And, you know, 
the Bible correctly says, the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. Mm-hmm. And to deny the things that that we're exposing right now is just to be a fool. Yeah, amen. Here's here's one. This is one of my one of my favorites. I like this one a lot. This is found in the book of Job, chapter thirty-seven, and this is verses six and seven. Again, that's Job, chapter thirty-seven, verses six and seven. And I hope you have a Bible out and you're following along with us to see if what we say is true. So Job 37, verses 6 and 7. Verse 6 says, For he saith to the snow, Be thou on the earth, likewise to the small rain, and to the great rain of his strength. All right, so he's talking about he brings the snow and the rain. And then in verse 7, it says, He sealeth up the hand of every man, that all men may know his work. So if you take a look at at how... If you take a look at your hand and your fingertips, you know, where you would seal up your hand at your fingertips, you have what are we now know to be fingerprints. And but more than that, we know that each fingerprint is unique. Because that's the way that they, you know, can find criminals by the by the uniqueness of their fingerprint. Well, here we have the Bible talking about how he seals up the hand of every man that all men may know his work. So there's something about that sealing that you should be able to take a look at that and realize, wow, that, that's from God. Same thing with the snow. Snowflakes, like fingerprints, each one unique. Who knew? Who knew that stuff? <laughs> the Bible knew. Thousands <laughs> of years before. You know, that's, uh, how, do you, how do you look at the stuff and come off and say, oh, well, come on. Maybe, maybe one or two you could say, well, lucky guess. <laughs> yeah. But not, not, these, not as many as we're going through here. All right, I got another one. Uh, this is talking about the ant. Uh, and you can find this in Proverbs chapter 6. And starting at verse 6, it says, Go to the ant, thou sluggard, consider her ways, and be wise, which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer and gathereth her food in the harvest. So the big thing I want I want you to see here is about the ant. It says, go to the ant. And then in verse 8, it says, who gathereth her food uh, in the harvest. Now, this was written in 1000 BC, and it was proven correct in 1871. Now, listen to this quote uh, from Life's Nature Library. Now, <laughs> uh it's called the insects and it's on page 163. Now, you know, anything that you hear about in life's magazine, you know, like nature magazines, uh, you would pretty much, it talks about, um, evolution, all that kind of stuff now. But, but back here in page 163 of this, uh, magazine, it says of Proverbs chapter six, it says, and I quote, one of the etymological puzzles of the last century concerned this observation by Solomon. There was no evidence that ants actually harvested grain in 1871, however, a British naturalist showed that Solomon had been right after all. Hmm. You don't read about that in any uh, Life's Nature yeah. magazines. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> yeah, it's it's amazing. Of course, you know, I, I just... Steve, you know how many lost people we can call up and ask them what they think of this stuff? <laughs> I, I'd like to know how they how they... How they get around this. And again, I think, uh, you know, for, for a, 
Bible-believing Christian, I think, you know, there's there's empty pages in your Bible. I think this is some of those great things that, you know, if you have just a couple minutes to show somebody and they say, oh, that Bible is just a, you know, a bunch of fairy tales and stuff. Yeah, a bunch can, of things made up. Right. I mean, you can take one uh, blank page and put on it all this science, you know, and that's just going to be a great tool for you as, as well as, you know, some prophecies, you know, some of the 300, over 300 prophecies on Jesus Christ alone that have come true and just stuff like that just to show them, hey, listen, this isn't just a blind faith. This isn't just, you know, a bunch of fairy tales in this mm-hmm. book. You know, let me give you a testimony. There's a fellow in our, in our church by the name of Art who uh, uh, was, lo- his wife was saved and, and somehow she convinced him to come to church one time and he really had no interest at all. But he, he came with her and that, that particular uh, night, it was a Sunday night, the pastor went over some things similar to what we're discussing right here. And it was just the very thing that caused him to think enough that uh, maybe this this thing is true. Amen. You know, he was skeptical of the Bible. But when he started seeing some of these evidences that were coming up, that there was really no way to refute them. Because uh, he he knew, you know, things about some science and stuff. And and all of a sudden to find out that these that the Bible had the answer long before science did, this actually led to his salvation. He's in our church mm-hmm. right now. He's a deacon. Amen. Amen. That's awesome. All right, here's one Steve's going to comment on because he has a lot of personal experience with this one. Uh-oh. <laughs> this is from the uh, Psalms 75, verse 5. That's chapter 75, verse 5. Well, let me turn there so that I can, I can read this. <laughs> there, there we go. Put him on the spot. Now he'll know it. As soon as he sees it, he'll he'll know exactly why why I referred it to him. Lift not the, uh, uh, let me try one more time. <laughs> Lift not up your horn on high. Speak not with a stiff neck. Uh, some of the things I don't know exactly when they figured it all out, but I know that uh, being a, a, a musician uh, singer. Uh, and a speaker that uh, what they teach you to do is to uh, sing with your diaphragm and to loosen your throat so that you can speak or and uh, sing uh, uninhibited. The sound quality is better. Uh, your throat doesn't uh, tire and, and grow weary. And uh, you're able to make the sounds that you need to make in order to uh, sound good or whatever. So... Uh, those of you that strain while you're singing with a very tight throat and try to sing through your throat, you're doing it incorrectly. Uh, the Bible had that answer long, long ago. Amen. Steve, we should have an episode where you just do a teaching uh, seminar on gospel singing. How about that? <laughs> well, I could give you something. Uh, music today and, and gospel singing, and, and then we could do something like that. We could do something. Maybe you can teach us to sing. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. That's a long time. <laughs> Is that too much? That would take too much time. <laughs> yeah, and we might throw them off. <laughs> I've heard you guys sing. <laughs> uh, yeah. Thanks, brother. Thanks, Steve. Uh, Way I, to lift up your brethren. <laughs> yeah, well, that goes back to the funny. So. <laughs> a joyful noise to the Lord. What's that verse? Absolutely. Anybody can sing and please God. So that's what you ought to do. Amen. All right, here's one, Leviticus 15, 13. Leviticus chapter 15, verse 13. You know, in the Dark Ages in Europe, the Black Plague, when that was sweeping Europe, 
somehow the Jewish people got through with hardly a casualty. And uh, one of the things that they determined that it was, number one, their diet. Um, You've got all kinds of diet uh, laws for the Jews. But also, it was determined that they washed in running water like surgeons do today. And Leviticus 15.13 says, And when he that hath an issue is cleansed of his issue, then he shall number to himself seven days for his cleansing, and wash his clothes, and bathe his flesh in running water, and shall be clean. You know, again, up until, you know, modern times, they, they, they were washing in standing water that they used for washing clothes or whatever else, and it was, you know, it was... Or they used it as latrines, and you know it's <laughs> those became cesspools and and a lot of folks a lot of folks died, but if you followed the Bible, you would wash your flesh in running water yeah, and so, uh, here in Levit- Leviticus fifteen I mean that was written in fourteen ninety b c and uh this is fi- this was finally proven uh by Pasteur and Koch in the late eighteen hundreds uh with the help of the microscope in the science of bacteriology. I mean, without the microscope, they didn't understand what was going around, but what they were doing with washing their hands in a bowl of water every time that they were doing any kind of surgery or any kind of uh, thing like that, they were spreading the germs like wildfire, and they didn't even understand that that's what it was doing and until they had the microscope and they could see the germs and the bacteria and all that kind of stuff growing. Uh, but yeah, when you get that running water, that takes care of the, the stuff growing in, a, in just a bowl of water like that. We have the surgeons now that scrub and do it over running water, and and uh, you know what are they telling you now? They're telling you to you know especially with the swine flu going around, they say to wash your hands several times a day. Uh, you know, all of these things they're finally catching up to the Bible, uh, and um, you know you'd think like you've already guys said, you guys have already said that. You know, you'd think that this evidence would be enough to persuade someone that this book has some answers for that. I think that's the reason why we're trying to do this podcast, is to let people know that the Bible does have the answer for it. Amen. You know, we're just trying to be the the voices to let people know. Amen. And I think, isn't there an old saying that that says that no... um no education is complete without a thorough knowledge of the Bible. I mean, how can how can you consider yourself educated if you haven't read the best-selling book of all time here? Hmm, yeah. Well, here's another one. They don't. Well, they I'm don't sorry. like the restrictions. I'm sorry. They don't like the restrictions that is placed on them. Uh, you know, if they acknowledge the Bible as true, then they feel then they would by conscience feel obligated to obey the one that that wrote the Bible. Right. And if they do that, then they have to submit themselves and, and change their lifestyle and all the other things. And they want to be the God of their own life. They want to be able to do what they want to do without any restrictions. That's what this society is, is running headlong for. And all it's, all it's doing is running to misery and heartache and woe. And, uh, you know, they really need to consider that the God that wrote this book is concerned about their soul and wanting them to live with him forever in eternity. Amen. And it's a small price to pay considering the alternative. Yeah. I mean, and, if we live for God and do as he says and follow the plan of salvation that he's laid out, uh, again, it's a small price to pay. Uh, 
and it's not even a, a price to pay. We, we're going right, to have yeah. a better life. We're going to live it more Absolutely. abundantly. It's going to be better than what you could live by not having Jesus Christ as your Savior and 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 living a full and fulfilled life. You know, it's it's better on every count, and certainly well, I, certainly better than you know being the God of your own life when you die. Is, uh, when I said that, I, I'm speaking that in the in the in the mindset of a lost person. It's right. a small price to pay to uh, receive Christ and and accept Him. Obviously, they don't know that it's so much better for them. They don't know that, but all they see is the sacrifice of their lifestyle now. And uh, be honest with you, that I thought when I first trusted Christ and I finally gave up, I said, "Okay, God, I'm going to live as a monk in a monastery, you know, and I'm just going to be this hermit, never going to have any fun." But I was so fed up with life that I thought that's what I was going to have to live like. And little did I realize how much different my opinion was to the reality. Yeah, that life was much more fulfilling. That there was excitement and joy and peace that I'd never known before. But you know, the price that I was willing to pay so that I could go to heaven, I, I figured, well, I'll just give up all fun and everything else. That's why I was saying that in, in the perspective of, of a lost man. But uh, really, to, to have the joy uh, and know that you're going to go to heaven when you die, uh, you know, to be able to spend eternity in a perfect place, to never have to sin again, anything that you do will always be right. Mm. I mean... How could you trade that? Amen. How could you trade that for for a little pleasure now that's only going to lead to ruin? Life is but a vapor, appeareth for a little time and then vanishes away. You know, so uh, there's no doubt that there's fun in sin, but you know uh, that's only for a season. Yeah, and even for, I think only for a season here on Earth because you meet a lot of folks that that uh, you know indulge in sin and and um, I'm talking about lost folks here that that. It doesn't satisfy, you know. There, there's still well, an emptiness, and they're still looking for that next thing, whether it's more money or more possessions, or you know, a, a new job or a, a new partner or that new car, whatever it is. They think that's that's the thing. If I just have that, then I'm going to feel better. I'm going to be satisfied. But none of those things bring satisfaction, and you can see it among the you know the so-called. The stars and the and the the, the rich that uh, it it doesn't it doesn't satisfy, you know. Well, that's they, why they go into the drugs. They get themselves all strung out, and they just they're just miserable people. Yeah. I, to be honest with you guys, I see the end result of of the sin and what it what it uh, what it brings a man to. I mean, I go down to city mission, I go down to another mission, and I see these guys and what sin has left them with, and there's nothing. And it's just heartache and misery. And to be honest with you, they still try to hold fast their integrity, uh, what if you would call that integrity, and, and they still, many of them, still won't trust Christ as their Savior, even in the condition that they're in. Mm-hmm. Amen. Let's do a few more. I know we're, uh, we've gone quite a few, but we could probably go here all night. So let's do a couple more. and. And here's one I think is real interesting. This is found in the book of Job, and we're going to look at chapter 38, verse 19, and uh, verse 24. That's Job 38, verses 19 and 24. 19 says, Where is the way where light dwelleth? And as for darkness, where is the place thereof? 
verse 24, by what way is the light parted which scattereth the east wind upon the earth? Well, just looking at verse 19, where is the way where light dwelleth? You know, it doesn't say where is the place where light dwelleth, which you would think that if you're writing this verse to be contextually accurate, you're going to say where is the place? Where is the place where light dwelleth? But it doesn't. The Bible says where is the way where light dwelleth? And that's because light is always moving. It's never still. How did they know that? How, how did the... How does the Bible have this this information? Yeah, and, and again, this is written in 1500 B.C. And uh, again, the book of Job is the oldest book of the Bible. And uh, it wasn't proven right until Einstein, until Albert Einstein came on the scene. And uh, again, how come Job didn't say, oh, this is the place where light dwells? I mean, we see light and we say, okay, that's where it is right now. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't see it moving. <laughs> but it, it makes the distinction. Where is the way yeah. where light dwelleth? That's, that's astounding. And you can't chalk it up to the translators either, you know, because it wasn't that wasn't scientifically known in the day. Right. Uh, and then in verse twenty-four, by what way is the light parted, which scattereth the east wind upon the earth? That you could part light, you know. Yeah. They found that you could part light with with a, a spectroscope, but you know, at the time of this writing, <laughs> way beyond what uh, what you would expect. All right, I got to go, one, Dad. Okay. How about this one? This is. Uh, ingredients of humans, what we're made out of, all right? And in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, God says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So the Lord says that God formed man of the dust of the ground. Now, here we go with another kind of ungodly uh, magazine here. Uh, this was proven correct in 1982. Now, uh, Reader's Digest, uh, which doesn't really talk much about the Lord anymore, uh, has an article titled, How Life on Earth Began. Now, it stated that according to scientists at NASA's Agnes Research Center, the ingredients needed to form a human being can be found in clay. The article says, and I quote, We are just beginning to learn the biblical scenario for the creation of life turns out to be not so far off the mark, unquote. <laughs> that's, that's pretty amazing that Reader's Digest said that in 1982, that we're just starting to understand that the biblical uh, creation is not so far off the mark. Well, science falsely so-called. They're trying to catch up to the Bible, but they, they, they just are woefully behind. Probably never will. Well, can I give you one that they haven't caught up with yet, but uh, whether they will or not, I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. Take your Bible and turn. Take, take your Bible. Go to Psalm 148. Psalm 148. Now, before we, before we read this, this portion of Scripture, I want you to get Genesis chapter, uh, chapter 7. Genesis chapter 7. Genesis chapter 7. Now, I'm just going to give you a few verses. We can do this study another time because there's a, a number of verses that are connected here. But in verse 11 of Genesis chapter 7, it says this, In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the sixth month and the 17th day of the month, the same day were the fountains of the great deep broken up, and the windows of heaven were open, and rain was upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. Uh, I don't know about you, but, but growing up and so forth, I always heard about uh, Noah and the flood and 
and heard that it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. And really, you know, the question was, where in the world could they, you know, how could it rain for 40 days and 40 nights? Where did that rain come from? Well, take your Bible and go to uh, Psalm 148, and we'll uh, tell you that God has an answer for that. Uh, Psalm 148, and let's pick it up in verse 1. Praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise ye him, all his angels. Praise ye him, all his hosts. Praise ye him, sun and moon. Praise him, ye all ye stars of light. Praise him, ye heavens of heavens, and ye waters that be above the heavens. It's not in the heavens. It's above the heavens. Now, if you know anything about your Bible, you know that the Bible says that there are three heavens. I'm not going to go through the whole teaching here, but there are three heavens. And there's, uh, there's uh, one where God dwelleth, and then there are two more below that. And in order for this verse to be correct, which I believe it is, it has to be above the, the first and the second heaven. That first heaven is the atmosphere where the birds fly and the clouds and, and uh, all of that. And the second one, if you take your Bible and look in Genesis chapter 1, you'll see that the second one is where the stars and the planets and the earth are. It's called the second heaven. It's called a firmament. And there's water above that. Now, just to whet your appetite a little bit, consider this. Why do they call those things that go up into space, they call them space ships? Why do they call them ships? And why do they call them astronauts? Now, astro is a space term, but nought is a, is a water term. Nought, nautical. And why do they call it deep space? Now, go one more place. Go to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. Get to this, and, and then we'll leave it hanging so that you'll have a teaser to come back and, and understand about uh, the doctrine of the great deep. <clears throat> I'm always good for something controversial here, so I might as well be <laughs> So, Steve, you say, are, you, are you telling us that one of the upcoming uh, podcasts we're going to have the doctrine of the deep? Well, in, in some upcoming one, I'm sure we've got some others to fill in there. Okay. I just want to let them know that there's going to be one called the Doctrine of the Great Deep. Great. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. That deep is equated with water. As we just talked, as it just said, go back to Genesis chapter uh, 7. Just reconnect with that. Show you that it all works in a circle. In verse 11 it says, In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, the same, uh, the same day were all the fountains of the great deep broken up, and the windows of heaven were open. Verse 12 and the rain was upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. Now, one day, science may catch up. But as we found in the Word of God, sometimes it takes them thousands of years before they kept catch up. 
who knows? They may catch up here soon. With those modern telescopes, they may be able to see some water out there. But the Bible says there is. And that's just something for you to keep under your hat and think about for a little while. It seems like it's a lot of water out there. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. Not just a few drops, but some something that would dwarf the oceans. Uh, yeah. So that's pretty interesting. So if you uh, hear the news that they think they might see water out in space... You can you heard it first. You heard it first here. <laughs> Steve, when you go over that uh, study, you got to tell them what's in that water as well. Uh, I may do that. May <laughs> How about that? that? <laughs> there's something, we'll just give them another you're, teaser. You're, there's you're something, teasing them beyond the tease. <laughs> <laughs> there's something in that water <laughs> that uh, you'll want to stick around and hear what that is. Something big and Oh, Chris scary. was afraid of that one, wasn't he? <laughs> Christopher Columbus was afraid of that oh, one. Oh, yeah. They were saying he was going to get eaten up by it. <laughs> something big and scary out there. All right, well, uh, good show. Thanks again, everybody. It was good. Yeah, Very interesting. Steve, while we're closing out here, um, we're going to have up on the website a uh, picture that uh, you sent me. You want to you tell the uh, listeners a little bit about that picture? It's at, the, well, it's at our website at thatsinthebible.com. What uh, have I work at a place, I'm a, I'm a fabricator welder, and I belong to uh, the IAM, International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Engineers, or Aerospace Machinists, or whatever, something along that line. I don't even know the name of my own. Apparently <laughs> <laughs> it's not important. <laughs> they had, uh, they had a, a poster up for the election, and that's uh, the picture of that poster that you see there. Now, I want you to take a look at that poster real clear, real clear real good and see what it says now i don't know if uh, eric's going to give the answer behind it i want you to take a look at it. i don't want to give you the answer i want you to take a look at it and and if we don't have the answer up there maybe in a later podcast podcast i'll go through that answer uh more clearly but i want you to take a look at that and uh, kind of get a feel for what it really says now i don't know i know they didn't intend it that way so let me clear the, the, the unit first. <laughs> but it's just amazing how things that, that uh, seem to be innocent, all of a sudden you take a look at it and it has uh, a, a far deeper meaning than what, what we really think. Amen. All right, so we won't comment on it. We'll let the folks take a look at it and yeah, see, see what they think. We're going to try and put up some more pictures and things uh, at Matt's suggestion. Yeah, I think it just... Um you know, we, we like our audience, you know, to, to just kind of get to know us better and kind of really be a part of the show, you know, and that and that's what we do this for. I mean, we do this for the Lord and, and to glorify Him. Uh, but the other thing is we just want, you know, we, we want to have fellowship with each other. And also, you know, again, we want people to write in. We want people to send uh, their comments and just get to know you guys as well. And I think this is a good tra- chance with a bunch of pictures just to kind of see what we're all about. And uh, just kind of get to know us a little bit better that way with the pictures. And we'll see that Steve shaved his beard off. If we get oh. a current picture. Oh. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> well, I want to look young for my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> When's your birthday, Steve? Uh, the 25th. 25th of uh, this month? Uh, yeah. Happy birthday. You're giving more clues so they know exactly who I am. <laughs> I can't hide in obscurity anymore. Now, what year was that? <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, again, thanks, everybody. Thanks for joining us. And uh, 
Today we saw how the Bible actually did and does and continues to do so. Out science, yeah. science. And the yeah. next episode also is, uh, I believe it's going to be uh, my turn. Uh, and what it's going to be on, I no. believe. We'll see. You got a title for this one already? <laughs> <laughs> He's priming the well. Now, now I had a bunch of ideas. I have a whole bunch of stuff that I want to go through. But uh, I think my next episode <laughs> is going to be... I see you guys worried. I see Steve over there. His eyes are lit up like, uh-oh, what is he going to go over now? <laughs> but uh, the title of this one is, Is Water Baptism Needed for Salvation? Is Water Baptism Needed or Essential for Salvation? All right, well, everyone knows the answer to that. Absolutely. <laughs> well, apparently, apparently, I know the answer to that. <laughs> apparently, there's a lot of folks that don't know the answer to that or think they know the answer. But anyway, that sounds good. So are you going to do that one next, Matt? I will, sure. All right, so stay tuned. We're, we're on a water theme here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then Steve will go over the great deep. How about that? Uh, yeah. That's a good setup. All right, guys, we'll see you next time. Guys, go with her, go where no one dies, heavenward bound.